The Lord be with you and also with you. Lift up your hearts. We lift them up to the Lord. Today we gather in virtual worship. Let us worship God in spirit and in truth. The liturgy, music, and sermon are offered in the praise of God for our virtual congregation today and later around the globe. The service includes the sermon on our summer theme, Traditions in Mark, along with music and liturgy from previous services. We welcome your support and responses. We invite your attention to the possibilities for ministry and pastoral care available on our website. We await your self-selection of forms of leadership, ministry, and service in our midst. And as the Spirit moves, when again it is permitted and safe to do so, your presence with us here in worship. Although the nave is empty, the music is full. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Please be seated. We gather as people of faith, as Christian people, come Sunday, Sunday morning to worship. It is a privilege and a joy and an honor to gather together in ordered worship. We do so this day coming as we do to begin each week in a moment of quiet and of confession of sin to bow, to pray silently, recognizing our fragility and our mortality. As we do so, we remember the words, the guiding, wise words of Marilyn Robinson. Theologians talk about prevenient grace that precedes grace itself and allows us to accept it. I think there must also be a prevenient courage 
that allows us to be brave, that is to acknowledge that there is more beauty than our eyes can bear, that precious things have been put into our hands, and to do nothing to honor them is to do great harm. And therefore, this courage allows us, as the old ones said, to make ourselves useful. It allows us to be generous, which is another way of saying exactly the same thing. Let us bow, let us pray, in the spirit, as the choir guides. have mercy upon us. Christ, have mercy upon us. Lord, have mercy upon us. Hear good news. If we confess our sins, God, who is faithful and just, will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Thanks be to God. A lesson from St. Paul's second epistle to the Corinthians, chapter 4, verse 13, through chapter 5, verse 1. But just as we have the same spirit of faith that is in accordance with Scripture, I believed and so I spoke, we also believe and so we speak, because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and will bring us with you into his presence. Yes, everything is for your sake, so that grace, as it extends to more and more people, may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So we do not lose heart. Even though our outer nature is wasting away, our inner nature is being renewed day by day. For this slight momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all measure, because we look not at what can be seen, but at what cannot be seen. For what can be seen is temporary, and what cannot be seen is eternal. For we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
Please join me in reading responsively verses from Psalm 138 with the antiphon. I give you thanks, O Lord, with my whole heart. Before the gods I sing your praise. I bow down toward your holy temple and give thanks to your name for your steadfast love and your faithfulness. For you have exalted your name and your word above everything. On the day I called, you answered me. You increased my strength of soul. All the kings of the earth shall praise you, O Lord for they have heard the words of your mouth. They shall sing of the ways of the Lord, for great is the glory of the Lord. For though the Lord is high, he regards the lowly, but the haughty he perceives from far away. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you preserve me against the wrath of my enemies. You stretch out your hand, and your right hand delivers me. The Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. Your steadfast love, O Lord, endures forever. Do not forsake the work of your hands. And now please rise for the singing of the Gloria Patri and the reading of the Gospel lesson. Gospel according to St. Mark, chapter 4, verses 26 to 34. Glory to you, O Lord. And he said, The kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed upon the ground, and should sleep and rise night and day, and the seed should sprout and grow. He knows not how. The earth produces of itself, first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. And he said, with what can we compare the kingdom of God or what parable shall we use for it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which when sown upon the ground is the smallest of all the seeds on earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes the greatest of all shrubs and puts forth large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. With many such parables, he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. He did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to his own disciples, he explained everything. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Some big measures of the ice of contagion and the snow of infection and the wind of COVID have diminished. For this we are thankful and mindful, too, of the actual and metaphorical powers of masks, of vaccinations, of protocols for distance. The national pause for Memorial Day last week, including many memorials near and far, brought a sign of such diminution, 
if not the entire absence of cold and wind and the lingering feelings of ice and snow. At our doorstep now this Lord's Day, the mystery of natural growth awaits us. Some of faith and preaching is about the nature of ministry, and some is about the ministry of nature, and some is about both. We are on the threshold of a new season, a season of natural growth. Growth is a mystery. All manner of growth is a mystery. Ministry in and through this natural mystery is its own kind of mystery. Somehow, together, we have weathered a hard and bitter 15 months. Somehow, together, we have done something hard together. How shall we think of this? What may we most want to remember or not to forget about this shared drama and trauma? What has this hard, cold, shattering, shared experience taught us? When someone stops you on the street or over a meal or on the church doorstep and asks, what is your COVID story? How you, will you start off and what will you say? What is the first thing that comes to mind and how will you put it? I invite you to tell someone sometime or offer it in a meditative prayer sometime or write it down in a poem sometime. Te invito. Jesus taught in parables, teaching not without such, according to our Holy Scripture, this Lord's Day. Some were parables of the mystery of growth, growth of the ministry of nature alongside the nature of ministry. We are close today to the very voice of Jesus of Nazareth in the parable served by St. Mark chapter 4. One example to stand for a dozen. So that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. But birds of the air? But what other kinds of birds are there? This is a Semitism, a sign of the Aramaic substrata of the passage, the closeness to the very voice of Jesus 2,000 years later. A mystery, too. This is a mystery, too. Around us this coming month, nature performs her ministry to our succor. May this ministry of nature nudge us toward a fuller enjoyment of our own in whatever walk of life, nature of ministry. And the seed should sprout. He knows not how. how shall we understand these holy words, ancient and potent? We shall need to prepare for the work, for the work on these words high and lifted up in our Lord's parable in St. Mark. And to get up high, we need a reliable scaffold. Before you work high, you build a scaffold to get yourself up there. Over the past years, one of the most interesting church-related figures, town by town, was the steeplejack, a person hired to go up high and fix things. Steeplejacks famously and normally do not use a scaffold. They use rope and pulleys and they rightly earn a good salary. As one joked to me, sort of quoting scripture and speaking of the dangers of height, Jesus said, lo, I am with you, meaning he continued, up high, you are on your own. Our smaller churches hired steeplejacks for the minor tiling, shingling, painting, and other repairs required of small church steeples on small steeple churches. One was squat enough, the church, not the jack, that he could go up by ladder. Later churches had taller steeples. The trustees sometimes tried to get by with a steeple jack every time repairs were needed, but most times, no, they needed to spend more. Once a section of copper plate fell off the steeple onto a university neighborhood street. Exposure, liability, acts of God, randomness. These words appeared in sermons later that month. Thankfully, no one was hurt. Scaffolding went up the next week and stayed up for several expensive days. Both the interior and exterior spaces of churches require endless attention. As with the care of the human body after a certain age, the motto for such care must be maintenance, maintenance, maintenance. Interior, like exterior scaffolding, also comes at a price. There are, as you sense, other sermons right here in the wings, as it were, which we will leave aside for now. 
Sure, you prefer to change light bulbs and paint ceilings with a huge step ladder and a fearless trustee or hired painter? Sure, but the higher the knave, the, well, I refer you to the adage above. Low I am with you, not high. Even before any paint is spilled and even before any long-lasting bulbs are replaced, there is work, there is cost, there is meaningful preparation. Something similar is afoot in preaching. The preacher either swings in the breeze like a steeplejack if the matters of interpretation are low fences, but if the height is greater, scaffolding is needed. What you see when the work is done is the steeple repaired, the roof replaced, the paint, both coats applied, the bulbs changed. But before all that, there has been scaffolding up so that the work could be done. Today, that is our work to prepare for Mark. We come this morning to the interpretation of Mark 4. Mark requires scaffolding. We cannot begin to work until we have some place to stand. No light bulbs will be changed until we can reach the fixtures. So come and help me a little with the scaffolding this morning. As Mr. Kortz so ably reminded us last week, we know not who wrote Mark, only his name. He wrote for a particular community whose location and name are also unknown. He even mentions by name members of his church, Alexander and Rufus, chapter 1521. <clears throat> the book is meant to help a community of Christians it is written to support and encourage people who already have been embraced by faith. While it purports to report on events long ago in the ministry of Jesus, its main thrust is toward its own hearers and readers 40 years later. So it is not an evangelistic tract, and it is not a diary, and it is emphatically not a history. You will want to know what we can say then about Mark's community. If the community gave birth to the gospel, and if the community is the primary focus of the gospel, and if the community is the gospel's intended audience, you would like to know something about them. For one thing, the community is persecuted or is dreading persecution, or both. Jesus suffered, and so do or so will you. This is what Mark says. This gospel prepares its hearers for persecution. For another thing, the church may have been in or around Rome or possibly somewhere in Syria. It is likely that Mark was written between 69 and 73 CE. For yet another thing, Mark's fellow congregants, fellow Christians are Gentiles in the main, not Jews. He is writing to this largely Gentile group. He writes for them neither a timeless philosophical tract nor an ethereal piece of poetry. His is rather a message, a message on target. Further, Mark's composition, editing, comparison, saying, combination, style, and Christology all point to Mark as the earliest of our Gospels. Pause over the word gospel. You have heard the word many times and know that it means good news. It is an old term. You can compare it to ghost. Gospel is to good news as ghost is to spirit, you might say. Mark calls his writing a gospel. He creates something new. Mark is a writing unlike any other to precede it, any other. Mark is not a history, not a biography, not a novel, not an apocalypse, not an essay, not a treatise, not an epistle. Examples of all these were to hand for him. Mark might have written one of any one of them. He did not. He wrote something else, and so in form, in genre, gave us something new, a gospel. His is the first, but not the last. That is the mystery, too, of growth. Seeds scattered on the ground, the earth produces of itself. When it is sown, it grows. Mark is not great literature. It is not Homer, not Plato, not Cicero, not Shakespeare. Nor is the Greek of the gospel a finely tuned instrument. It is harsh coarse and common. The gospel was formed, formed in the life of a community as described earlier. Its passages and messages were announced as memories meant to offer hope. Its account of Jesus in healing and preaching and teaching all the way to the cross and beyond is offered 
to a very human group of humans who are trying to make their way along his way. That is, the gospel is a record of the preaching of the gospel. To miss this or to mistake this is to miss the main point of the gospel. It is in preaching that the gospel arrives, enters, feasts, embraces, loves, and leaves. It is in preaching that you may hear something, perhaps today, that makes life meaningful, makes life loving, makes life real. It is in preaching that the Gospel of Mark came to be as a community over time, heard and reheard, remembered and rehearsed as the story of Jesus crucified, his past and risen, his present. We should not expect narrative linearity, historical accuracy, or recollective precision here, and in fact, we find very little. Let us put it another way around. Most of the New Testament documents are, in one way or another, attempts to remember accurately the nature and meaning of baptism, of the life of faith. Well, Mark fits that description. What does it mean, here and now, to be a person of faith? Let us put it this way. Let us put up our scaffolding this way. Ours is a tale of two Marks. Is Mark a moderate critic, or is Mark a critical moderate? How you answer will both depend on and indicate where you stand on the scaffold. Moderate critic, critical moderate. That is, across the length of his gospel, is Mark actively criticizing others, or is he carefully moderating, coaching, if you will, the approach of others? Is the tone of the gospel polemic or irenic? Granted, there is both when the chips are down, as they are today in chapter 4, which scaffold matters most. Mark is clearly an apocalyptic writing, although clarity about this has only fully emerged in the last few generations. Mark expects the end of all things in his own time, and so the Mark and Jesus so instructs his followers. In fact, Mark expects the culmination of all things soon and very soon. To this coming dawn, Mr. Kortz so ably referred a week ago. In this regard, and in regard to his understanding of the cross, Mark has some congruence with the letters of Paul. Given this apocalyptic perspective, is Mark a critic or a coach? Critic or coach? The first option, Mark the moderate critic, was most piercingly presented almost 40 years ago. First, let me give you the outline of the planking in this part of the scaffold, and then let me tell you about the carpenter. On this view, Mark combats, combats, a view of Jesus that will not accept his suffering, his crucifixion. Long after the events of Calvary and Golgotha, spirited and strong people singing a happy song have caused the earliest church to forget their baptism or its meaning. They expect ease, spirit, joy, and soon a conquering victory over the, all the plagues that persecute them. To this, Mark says, no. To say no, Mark remembers in de delicate detail the story of Jesus' passion, relying on a source, a document he has probably inherited. To say no, Mark pointedly shows the ignorance and cowardice of Peter at Caesarea Philippi and in Jerusalem. To say no, Mark criticizes, diminishes the miracles of Jesus, letting them wind away to nothing as the gospel progresses. To say no, Mark describes the disciples as dunces. They didn't understand it, and neither do you, he says. Mark stays within the fold of the inherited story of Jesus, the gospel of teaching and passion of Galilee and Jerusalem, including our parable today. But he does so as a moderate critic of those who are unrealistic about the suffering that continues from which the gospel does not deliver any more than Jesus had been delivered from the cross. Saved, yes, delivered, no. On this view at the heart of Mark, there is a bitter dispute in earliest Christianity about what constitutes discipleship, baptism. And Mark is out to prove his opponents wrong. As with the alternative, there is plenty of evidence to support this sort of scaffold. One person who most powerfully presented this view is a dear friend, 
In fact, he was our immediate predecessor in our Rochester church. Our 11 years in that pulpit immediately followed his 17. He's a Methodist minister who did his doctoral work at Claremont. It has taken some decades for the force and power of his argument to stand up and stand out in comparison to the work of others. Ted Whedon wrote, Jesus serves as a surrogate for Mark and the disciples serve as surrogates for Mark's opponents. The disciples in Mark are reprobates. The second option, another scaffold, has Mark the critical moderate has in a way been present for a longer time and one could say is still the more dominant, the majoritarian position. The culminating presentation of this position is in a two-volume Anchor Bible commentary. The author was once on the faculty of Boston University School of Theology, Joel Marcus. On this view, things in Mark's community are not so much at daggers drawn. There are differences to be sure but the disagreements are differences among friends. The Markan coaching does not face strong spirit people committed to an idea of the divine man. Mark is not so negative about miracles. The disciples are mistaken, but not malevolent. The titles for Jesus are not so telling or convincing. The real trouble is not so much in the community itself, perish the thought, but outside among the potential deceivers of the church. Hence, on this scaffold, Mark has the job of more gently reminding his hearers of the cross, of suffering, of discipline, of the cruciform character of Christianity as a moderate, a critical moderate, but a moderate, a coach, more than a critic, a critical moderate. We have a hard time imagining our faith tradition was born out of serious conflict. It is like family stories. We really don't like to imagine that our family tree is littered with broken branches, dead limbs, crooked roots, and Dutch elm disease. We like the picture of the palm tree, majestic and free. The second option appeals to our sense of pride in our Christian heritage. It is a more pleasing view. But the former, Whedon's mark, is over time the stronger scaffold and what we need from a scaffold is not presentation, but reliability, not beauty, but strength. Here is where my feet come down. Marcus appeals to my heart, what I wish were true or truer, but my mind trusts Whedon, and our passage today is a case in point. From the vantage point of this scaffolding, the key verse this morning is 429. When the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. That is, there comes a time of completion, of testing, requiring not just coaching, but also and more so warning, warning. Listen this summer for the warning in Mark more than the encouragement. Listen this summer for the warning in Mark more than the encouragement. Listen for the critic not just the coach. The ministry of nature is meant to prepare us for the nature of ministry. The parables of seed and growth are meant to prepare us for those challenging moments of growth that still lie ahead. As individuals and as communities, we prepare and need to prepare for the challenges, the harvests of the future. And friends, there are serious challenges ahead. There are riveting, sobering, critical challenges ahead of us in the country, around the globe, and in our churches this year to come. Challenges. Challenge, challenges for you, your community, your nation, its constitution, and its bedrock foundation in truth and freedom. Listen for the warnings this summer in Mark. And hear good news in the ministry of nature and the nature of ministry. The church is alive, the future is open, love waits to the fill the human heart, every human heart. The seed sprouts, we know not how, foretastes all of heaven. And if the heavenly banquet has this menu, perhaps we need over these few earthly years to acquire a certain test for certain things like faith, like hope, like love just a little, little friendly
critical warning. So, dear friends, then travel with a little imagination. Imagine Eucharist at Marsh Chapel. Stand to sing, pause to reflect, step out into the aisle, look at and look past Abraham Lincoln and Francis Willard, receive cup and bread, bread and cup, kneel at the altar to pray, stand in communion with the communion of saints. Here is the bread and cup of friendship. Imagine a congregation reciting together a creed, a psalm, a hymn, a poem. Imagine, if you are willing, a congregation currently in diaspora, but just now by the words spoken and heard, a gathered and thus addressable community, you and I and all together, able to prepare for the challenges, the harvests of the future, able to prepare for Mark, Sursum Corda, lift up your heart.
for the life before us, for the work that draws us, for the spirit that guides us, we give thee thanks, O Lord. Bless these gifts and the givers, we pray. Amen. The Lord be with you. And also with you. Lift up your hearts. We lift them up to the Lord. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right to give our thanks and praise. It is right and a good and joyful thing always and everywhere to give thanks to you, almighty God, creator of heaven and earth. You formed us in your image and breathed into us the breath of life. When we turned away and our love failed, your love remained steadfast. You delivered us from captivity, made covenant to be our sovereign God, and spoke to us through your prophets. And so with your people on earth and all the company of heaven, we praise your name and join their unending Holy are you, and blessed is your Son, Jesus Christ. Your Spirit anointed him to preach good news to the poor, to proclaim release to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, and to announce that the time had come when you would save your people. He healed the sick, fed the hungry, and ate with sinners. By the baptism of his suffering, death, and resurrection, you gave birth to your church, delivered us from slavery to sin and death, and made with us a new covenant by water and the Spirit. And when the Lord Jesus ascended, he promised to be with us always in the power of your word and Holy Spirit. On the night in which he gave himself for us, he took bread, gave thanks to you, broke the bread, gave it to his disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And when the supper was over, he took the cup, gave thanks to you, gave it to his disciples, and said, Drink from this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant, poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And so in remembrance of these your mighty acts in Jesus Christ, we offer ourselves in praise and thanksgiving as a holy and living sacrifice in union with Christ's offering for us as we proclaim the mystery of faith. your Holy Spirit on us gathered here and on these gifts of bread and wine. Make them be for us the body and blood of Christ, that we may be for the world the body of Christ redeemed by his blood. By your Spirit, make us one with Christ, one with each other, and one in ministry to all the world until Christ comes in final victory and we feast at his heavenly banquet. Through your Son, Jesus Christ, with the Holy Spirit, In your holy church, all honor and glory is yours, almighty God, now and forever. Amen. And now, with the confidence of children of God, let us pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.
May we pray. Eternal God, we give you thanks for this holy mystery in which you have given yourself to us. Grant that we may go into the world in the strength of your spirit to give ourselves for others. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. it is the God who said, let light shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, our Lord. O Lord, we beseech thee, bless us and guide us in the days to come. In grace and mercy and peace. Amen.